Hi, this is Brett Amron. I'm Jeff Bast, and this is the Practice Podcast. Welcome. Today we have a special guest, as you can see. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening, you won't be able to see. We have our guest is Alan Moreland, an attorney with Axis Law Group. Hello, Alan. You want to introduce yourself to our millions of listeners? Hi, guys. How are you doing? How are you Great. doing, Alan? Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Yeah, well, first of all, thank Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Fantastic. We're happy to have you. Why don't you Thanks tell, for the opportunity to be here. Um, tell, why don't you tell, give us, uh, give the people uh, some of your, a little bit of your background. Where are you from? Okay. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, well, uh, I am, uh, uh, I am uh, you know, essentially a finance attorney. Um, I started out uh, working in New York. I uh, started my career in, in, in New York City. I spent about 20 years there after law school. And um, I've always had a, a sort of a specialization in Latin America and, and, and Caribbean uh, oriented transactions. And, uh, you know, I, I do finance work across the board, you know, uh, debt issuances, securitization, loans, secured loans, sovereign debt, um, just about. Uh, Anything you can think of, I've uh, I've done at some point. How do you, uh, some uh, lawyer in New York and finance, get involved with Latin America or Latin American transactions? Uh, you know, that, that's uh, in, in my instance, it was it was uh, it was kind of a, a street of coincidences. Um, but uh, basically, uh, in my although I grew up in in the Midwest, I grew up in. Uh, relatively small city in Indiana and had very little exposure to, you know, Latin Americans growing up. But um, there had been someone in our family who had been, uh, actually my aunt and uncle had been exchange students in Brazil. And uh, when they came back, you know, we had a sort of a series of other exchange students uh, were, uh, came and stayed with our family. And so I got to know Brazil that way. And then um, when I was in law school, when I was in my last year of law school, and I had been working part-time and had you know, a little bit of money in my pocket. I said to one of my friends, let's just, uh, this was like late February in 1988. I can remember it exactly. And uh, of course it's very cold in, in New York. And I said, let's just go somewhere for a week um, and enjoy ourselves. And uh, we got out the, in those days, you know, um, travel, travel was, you know, you looked at, you found travel packages in the newspaper. So we went to the travel section of the New York times and just, uh, I saw this sort of one ad for, you know, special, you know, week package, uh, Rio de Janeiro uh, hotel and flight. And uh, we, we took that and I went down and really fell in love with the country. And then after I um, had taken the bar, uh, something that we could do back in those days was that uh, I took a few months off before I started, uh, you know, my, my first year job. And I went and uh, I spent uh, five months in Brazil, just uh, getting to learn the language and, and getting to uh, you know, understand the country. And then um, everything sort of sprung off uh, after that, really. Um, Tudo bem. And then, uh, what's that? Tudo bem. Yeah. <laughs> Tudo bem. Tudo that, bem. That's, all, that's all I remember. I took, it, I took Portuguese for one semester in college, and uh, that's all I, all I, all I remember from that. So, it's a great language, though, obviously very similar uh, to Spanish. You know, um, uh, 
the, the one thing, Alan, you, you said there that I think is um, you know, maybe maybe gets lost in the shuffle that if there's any law students listening to us, that the fact that you took three months off after law school before going to work. So I think tent, nowadays people tend to graduate, take the bar and start working the next day. So kudos to you. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's it, it, you know, and I think that's interesting for anyone young who who may be listening. Is uh, I also remember uh, when I was in law school, I, I went to Columbia Law School, and I had the uh, possibility. You know, law school was three years. I had the possibility of doing a combined MBA, GD, or JD, in uh, four years, and I was just like, one year, I. Don't, I just don't have one year, an additional year to spend studying. And, uh, you know, looking back, it, it, it just seems kind of, you know, ridiculous. But when you're young, you're in a hurry and you, you want to get somewhere fast. So um, yeah. sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's good to have a different uh, perspective. Although I, although I do think people of, of, you know, today's generation, that makes me sound so old, are a little, have a little bit of a different perspective than we had, uh, you know, at the tail end of the 80s. Yeah, so so you're starting in New York, uh, spent obviously some time there. Uh, at some point, you made your way down here to Miami. Indiana, yeah, um, New York, Miami. Yeah, the nat- right, right. The natural progression: Indiana, New York, Miami. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sometimes when I think back, I, I feel like I've lived forever. I, I've lived through so much. But uh, the, what really prompted um, the move to Miami? Because in those days, there were really, especially for Brazil work, there were, there were really two places you could work from. You could work from New York, a little bit lesser level of, of, of work in, in those days. And um, I had uh, just started working. Uh, I started working in uh, early 2001. Uh, at a firm that was located in uh, the World Trade Center, uh, and we went through everything. Uh, we went through the whole 9/11 um, uh, tragedy, and um, after that, I said, you, you know, I really want to start thinking about uh, maybe living someplace that isn't New York City, and uh, so I, I started uh, talking to the people at the firm I eventually went to work with, which is where uh, uh, Jeff was working and uh, where some of my, my, my present partners also started out, people like Jeff Gutches and Ben Walkoff. Yeah, so think about it, 20 years removed from 9-11 and you know, for a different reason, right? We're having a bit of an exodus from New York down here again. Uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, that, that's why I, 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 I sometimes feel like I've lived forever. It's like, <laughs> you know, how many of these things uh, yeah. uh, can you go through? And I, I think back in uh, uh, um, uh, I think back in uh, back to 1988, we, we, we had a classmate that, that we always thought was uh, a little humorous and uh, one time, uh, and I, I had a group of friends that was a little bit cynical, and, and, and this guy came up to us and he says, you know, I've got my offer. Uh, I just gotten engaged, you know, man, I'm now set for life. And I'm thinking someone said that in 1988, 
and the profession yeah. has changed so much. Everything that has happened since 1988, and to think uh, back then that uh, you were in a situation where you're set for life is really uh, is really humorous. Yeah, so much changes, uh, and if, and especially you know you know I think uh, I think that's true of uh, big law when you get a when you get a job at big law. Everybody in law school, especially at the more, you know, the, you know, I guess at every law school, they're all trying to get the big, you know, the bigger firm, there's a sort of hierarchy of thinking, you know, the bigger, the better. And, um, you know, it's not, it took me a long time to realize that that hierarchy was just completely upside down in, in many respects, in my opinion. Um, but you, like Brett and myself, made that transition from big law to uh, more boutique practice. Can you... Uh, Tell us, how, tell us a little bit about that. You know, when, why'd you make that decision? How'd you do it? Well, I was, I was, uh, you know, chased for a while by, uh, by uh, Jeff and Ben. And uh, they are people that, uh, you know, I knew well from, from our days at uh, what was then Hutton and Williams. And uh, I knew they were good lawyers and they had, you know, uh, a very solid practice. And I think, uh, you know, I, I was uh, at least going into something that was already very solid, but, uh, and I'm, you know, I'd be interested in hearing your guys' experience also, but, uh, you know, when you go from a, a large law firm to a smaller environment, uh, there is a whole, I guess, um, you know, uh, you know, superstructure of support that, that you don't have anymore, uh, which can include, uh, you know, uh, you know, sort of referrals that come, you know, from within the firm and, you know, that whole engine that's, that just can, um, you know, keep a practice going. So um, it, it is, uh, you know, I'd be interested in your guys' experience, but obviously it's, it is, uh, it's a challenge when you, you move to that environment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, uh, I I practiced at Hunt and Williams with you, and and I um, I don't think at least for me I didn't leave there because I was unhappy. I was very happy, great firm, great lawyers. Um, I was truly content there, but I just felt like I needed something new, and I want a, a new challenge. I was getting ready to turn forty, and so I decided just to take the plunge and. Um, kind of did some rough back of the napkin calculations and figured, okay, I, I think I can make this work, but you're right. Um, the, the, the absence of that safety net and, and the protections of your colleagues and other lawyers and other practice areas, it's a little daunting. And I think part of why it worked for me is I didn't think that much about that. And I think that's part of the entrepreneurial spirit spirit is that you just right. know you're going to succeed and failure is just not even, it wasn't even in my calculus that it wouldn't work. And I remember having conversations with a lot of the folks at the firm about the move and every, every without fail, every lawyer said, God, you're so brave. You're so brave. You're so brave. And I just, I didn't even understand that comment. I didn't think of it as a, you know, a, a bravery issue. I don't know if Brett had a different experience, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't like you guys, I, I wasn't uh, at a big, big law, uh, more boutique, big boutique, I guess you can call it. Um, mm -hmm. I have all my rejection letters from the big firms. Um, <laughs> no. So, so for me, I mean, I, I agree. I, you know, similar. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't have to go anywhere. Um, I wanted to branch out um, more entrepreneurial spirit, do things kind of 
the way that I thought they should be done, run a firm, mm -hmm. uh, not to criticize the way another law firm runs itself. Um, I just had different ideas and different thoughts um, and wanted to sort of build this thing and create it. Uh, and I did, you know, I enjoyed that and I still do to this day uh, as we meander and, and progress over time. Um, and I just, you know, I, I, I see big law now and, and I get why it's there and I understand it and definitely has a place. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's got to, uh, I think, adapt um, as the, the practice changes and society changes as well. Um, and, you know, hourly rates are just getting crazy at those firms. And, you know, the machine, when you get involved, you know, as we often do, as I'm sure you do as well, Alan, you see big law on the other side of a lot of the matters you're working on. And, you know, they come in and they're stacked with, at least in the litigation side, you know, four or five lawyers and the associates are billing at higher hourly rates than we are. Um, and so at, you know, that Jeff and I at our early rate, so it's yeah, just, exactly. something's got to change at some point, um, I would think. Um, but th the last point just to sort of address, which is that people were saying the same thing to me, which is, boy, I wish I could do what you're doing. I wish I could do it. And I think, you know, uh, I didn't understand it at the time, but I, I can see why people would stay right. Um, because it's very comforting. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I get that and I understand it. And it takes a, a complete shift in your mindset to be able to go and take those risks uh, and, and do that. And so it's not for everybody, but I understand it. And it was a lot of work. It is a lot. Of yeah. Work. Setting up the infrastructure and all that. I mean, uh, Alan, you said you were a benefic beneficiary of somebody of, uh, you know, Jeff and Ben's work, um, you know, Brett and I. And the other thing is that you lose, and I probably the biggest thing is just the, you know, the peer level discussion. So being a solo practitioner, a pure solo, when I first started, I didn't have that. And I found that in Brett, and I think he found it in me. Yep. And that's how we end up forming a firm together, because you just need someone to bounce ideas off. You need, you know, it's sort of your conscience. It's uh, right. I always say Brett's, you know, the yin to my yang. And so you, you really need that balance, you know, so. But, you know, I, I think uh, now you guys uh, went out on your own. What about it's been like 10 years now or 2008 or 2008. A little bit. Oh, 13 wow. okay. years. And, um, you know, so many so many things that I think used to be real obstacles to setting up your old, uh, own firm. For, for example, there, there were just when you think about when you're in a big firm, for example, you're, you're just your information level about things that are happening in other areas of the law. I mean, you're, you're constantly sort of being kept aware of that, you know, because other practice groups are, you know, are circulating memos or people are drawing your attention to it. And, you know, yes, you don't have that, but we're now in, in a situation uh, where it's so easy to get information on anything. So that's become sort of less of an, you know, less of an issue than it used to be. And then who knows, you know, what the world is gonna look like you know, when this pandemic ends, uh, because I think that there have been so many like fundamental changes to how people think of, you know, work and office and uh, office resources. And um, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. One thing that just really, 
it, it really impressed me and it really gave me the sense, you know, things have really changed is uh, was last year, toward the end of last year, uh, Ben Walkoff and I were working on a fairly complicated uh, mezzanine loan financing for a client that uh, our client was the borrower. Uh, there were three banks, there were three large law firms on the other side. Uh, so obviously it was very document intensive, uh, a lot of negotiations with you know, different groups of lawyers. Uh, you know, we did all this uh, you know, on Zoom and, and we did it, um, I have to say pretty deftly and uh, you know, it's just such a difference from the way uh, legal work used to be, the way legal services used to be delivered. Agreed. So, um, and I think, and then of course, uh, when, uh, you know, because we were borrowers counsel and we, we were involved in the, the funds flow memo at the, at the end, you know, we, we, we knew what all the other firms were getting paid. And uh, although we had done much more work, I mean, it was us against three, um, we actually had a, a much uh, uh, a much lower bill, and uh, not only do we have a much lower bill, but we also had a bill that we were very happy with. We were happy with uh, what what you know we took home because um, you know we did, we don't have that corresponding overhead. I hope you uh, well. I hope you shared the that difference with your clients, so that they're aware. Well, you know who they are. <laughs> I'm sure they're aware. I, again, it was one of those things where because it's in the, the funds right. flow memo and, and the you know, lawyer's fees are coming out of uh, the loan proceeds. Yes, the client <laughs> knew uh, <laughs> uh, exactly what the other firms were uh, uh, were getting. So and, and uh, did comment on that. So, uh, yeah. And the other thing about and, that, and I, I think that's the that, that's the challenge that, that you guys I think that, and that we that, that's the challenge and that's the opportunity that, that we're all involved with right now, because we're all, you know, we're all good lawyers, you know, we, we can, we can, we bat in that league. Yep. Um, but uh, now we need to consistently be getting the type of work that large law firms uh, regularly do uh, because not only are we capable of doing it, but we were capable of doing it more efficiently. Agreed. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And, you know, I, I again, I, I do, I don't think, you know, big law is going anywhere. I mean, it, it's just not, but um, like you said, it may be, there is a transition to perhaps more use of boutique specialty boutique firms that have the same level of, of lawyering um, and, and just can be a little more nimble, more efficient. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be some clients who need full service. Under yep. You know, I used to be part of and went back to back at the big firm part of a private equity team and we would work on, you know, distressed transactions and I was the bankruptcy guy and there was a M&A guy and a, a person and a, a employment person and a tax person. And you know, there was a whole team of lawyers from different specialties that worked on it, but um, specialization on the topic of specialization, you know, you are great segue, Jeffrey Bass. I'm a specialist, <laughs> Alan, you know, you're a, a finance and transactions guy, but with a, uh, a distinct Brazil specialty. Right. So, you know, and your path to that special specialization is a, is a truly unique one uh, that you touched on, but what would you, how do you, what would you recommend for young lawyers who are looking to specialize in an area that doesn't really, you know, that they don't have a, a, a firm connection to? 
You know, I, I, I think, um, I, I think you need to find something, you know, find something you're really interested in and then try to leverage it. You know, if you're really interested in it and then you, you can, and, and this is a, a skill set that is not, you know, necessarily legal, no. but uh, if you're interested in, you know, if you're interested in um, intellectual property, if you're, you're interested in, you know, in engineering, or if you're, you know, you, you can take an, an outside interest like that and then leverage it into uh, a practice specialization, be, you know, project finance or, you know, entertainment law or anything like that. I, I think, um, I, I, I think that it's, it's important for lawyers when they're young to sort of identify something like that, that they can really sort of marry to their, their legal practice because then you're doing something you really like. Because if, if you're, I think we all know a lot of unhappy lawyers. If, if you're doing work that doesn't necessarily interest you, that's, you know, that's not, uh, that's not an ideal situation. Right. So you married uh, your interest and expertise in transactional work, right? And financing type work with your love of Brazil is sort of what, how that came together. Yeah, and then then I, I was also fortunate that you know just as I was starting to come up the ranks, the uh, the international debt crisis, which is something I'm older than you guys, but something that all I used to talk about in connection with Latin America, that that really ended. And then uh, of course in Brazil there, there was a new currency, and they finally conquered inflation. And then all of a sudden there there were just you know there was an explosion of, of of Brazilian transactions, and there were only you know a handful of people in the market that actually spoke. Portuguese. So, um, you know, and, uh, you know, again, it was something I really liked doing. So, um, so, so it ended up being very, very, uh, very fortunate. I mean, but that, but that's a great point. I mean, your language skill alone gave you a unique, um, you know, I mean, I guess a, a unique skill set that, that made you, uh, you know, a, 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 a real specialist. Right. So that you were a resource that was a scarce resource, if you will. That's probably a better way to put it. And so, um, you know, that that's a great way, non-legal way to differentiate yourself as a, you know, a secondary language. Absolutely. Have you seen growth, Alan, uh, more lawyers coming into that area of practice um, or, or <laughs> yeah. getting that subspecialty like you? Yeah, I, I just think there's been, uh, it's been a sea change of... Yeah. Uh, what, what, and what do you think is that? Uh, why do you think that is? Why this change all you know over the years and sort of all the, the flood? If you and I use that word flood, but more lawyers flocking to this type of practice. Well, let's let's talk you know specifically Brazil. Yeah, I mean when I started out, there were only two firms that were present in, in Brazil. One was Baker McKenzie, and one was a firm called Cudere Brothers which at the time was a very prestigious international firm uh, that no longer exists. Uh, and they had, you know, small presences in Brazil. And uh, now, uh, you know, all the major law firms have, uh, have you know, very, uh, not only quite present, but they have, uh, you know, substantial teams and very nice offices. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a major uh, international outpost for many of these firms. So it's 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 changed it's changed tremendously. Um, and and how would uh, if if a young lawyer is coming up uh, and and has an interest in obviously transactional work, but 
you know, getting into cross-border, uh, cross-border practice, you know, it, what kind of tips, you know, could you give a young lawyer um, some direction and how best to maybe do that, position themselves for that? You know, it, it, it's interesting. Um, I, I would go back even like maybe even a couple years earlier, even when you're at the undergrad level, because, you know, uh, many times people who study languages or literature or history aren't, you know, necessarily, you know, have much of a quantitative background or, you know, don't really uh, give a lot of importance to sort of like, uh, you know, hard financial skills. And, and I think that uh, it, it's very important, you know, while you're doing your junior year abroad or you're, you're learning languages or you're, um, you know, building on uh, the, the language skills that, that you, you know, acquired through your, your, your family. Um, it's also important to, to remember that you also know how to have to read uh, financial statements and mm. uh, understand, you know, some basics of finance. And that maybe doesn't, uh, when you're that young, doesn't seem that uh, exciting or that glamorous, but uh, uh, you're definitely going to need it. Right, right. So it's not enough to have the language skill. You have to have, understand, you know, the bu business terminology and accounting terms and finance terminology. Yeah, and economic, you know, just things like, you know, what drives interest rates, what drives capital inflows or outflows and, uh, you know, all, all that sort of thing. Well, and, and I, you know, you also have to obviously have an understanding of the financial system, right? Right. In Brazil. And, you know, right. I would imagine that you need at least a rudimentary, if not uh, detailed knowledge and working knowledge of the financial system down there. Yeah, and uh, and it's it's something that's evolved tremendously. It, it's constantly evolving, actually. Yeah. Uh, and, and what? Uh, I was just going to ask, and and what about the court system down there? I mean, is that I know you're a transactional practice, but is that is that something that you need to uh, have a good working knowledge of? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you, that you say that because one thing that uh, a type of transaction that uh, both our firms have worked on, for example, our, our chapter 15 uh, uh, bankruptcies mm -hmm. and, um, I, I, you know, and, and as, as, as you all know, it's a chapter is essentially derivative of, of uh, the uh, you know the the bankruptcy that's, that's taking place in the uh, the main jurisdiction, and um, if you don't, it, it is very difficult to, to follow that if you don't have some understanding of the local court system and local procedure, yeah. uh, because you're definitely going to be faced with uh, you know looking at, at those documents or, or seeing uh, translations of those documents, and um, you know as as you both know, uh, uh, legal systems that are not, uh, you know, uh, you know, code countries, countries that are not, you know, don't adopt common law, their legal systems can be very, uh, very foreign to us. Yeah, and the system down there is, uh, is, you know, obviously very different than here in terms of discovery, you basically give everything over to the judge, right? And the judge will review and make rulings or decisions. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that the, the judge is a much more active participant yeah. in, you know, in 
factual and determining factual matters or, or things that we would normally consider reserved uh, for a jury. Right. Um, the, 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 the judge is, is, is taking a much more active, active role in the investigation, evaluation of facts and you know, all that sort of thing. Absolutely. All right, Alan, on the, on the topic of chapter 15, because um, as you mentioned, chapter 15 is the U.S.'s enact, enactment of the uniform uh, of UNCATRAL, uh, UNCATRAL, you know, there's lots of different uh, pronunciations, but chapter 15 is a, is a proceeding ancillary to a foreign liquidation or foreign insolvency mm -hmm. proceeding. And, and Brazil recently adopted a new bankruptcy code or some amendments to their bankruptcy code to uh, more um, coalesce, if you will, with the internet, more international systems, I suppose. And I know you're not a bankruptcy lawyer, but do you, what's your, what's your impression of the, the, the new bankruptcy um, amendments in Brazil? Are they well, I think um, in, in that regard, it's, it's been a tremendous step forward because um, in the in the U.S., uh, Brazilian debtors are usually among the top three of the the, the nationalities that are um, you know seeking uh, Chapter 15 protection in the United States. Uh, but there was no there's no counterpart in Brazil, and so when, when you had these cross border bankruptcies, you know, in, in, in countries that were had adopted you know, the, the quote from chapter 15, th there was some sort of, you know, organized manner of, you know, to, uh, you know, distribute assets. Uh, and then in Brazil, it would just be a disorganized race to, you know, uh, attach assets. And um, that, uh, you know, that uh, is no more. So they have, uh, you know, joined uh, the rest of the world and uh, just, just it, it just puts them one step further into, you know, the uh, international uh, economic and legal system. But it still is, uh, it's still lacking in a, in a lot of ways. It's part of the problem, right? For businesses, it's not, it's not you know, our chapter 11 system here in the US provides a, a, a useful tool for businesses to reorganize, and that hasn't taken in in Brazil. And even with these changes, I, th I think the general notion is that they're not still. It's still deficient in in, some, in large part. Yeah, and it's it's uh, without like getting too theoretical, but but there's kind of like a historical reason for this is that in Brazil, it was you know Brazil was largely agricultural until about the 1930s. And it was really uh, industry and big industry was only really developed uh, through state involvement. And so major industries were, were state owned like steel and petrochemicals and, and petroleum, you know, still is the case. And because of that, as, as you can probably imagine, uh, one result of that was a bankruptcy system that tended to be very pro-debtor and um, we're just, it's taken now decades to, let's say level the, uh, the uh, playing field. But, but what was really interesting, what was the, um, the new law was, was passed in January. And as, as I mentioned at the outset, there were a number of, of vetoes that were 
you know, disappointing. And they were vetoes of things that were generally, you know, of uh, particular interest to, uh, to debtors. And, uh, you know, the uh, society, if you will, or, or, or the, you know, the business community came back and uh, uh, managed to get those vetoes overridden through Congress. So that, that really shows you that there's, um, you know, things aren't, maybe haven't moved as quickly as we would like, uh, but there's a recognition of the direction in which they should go. And there is, you know, political will uh, to make that happen. How do they, down, how do the Brazilian lawyers and uh, even the court system, the judges down there view the US system, um, whether bankruptcy specific or just generally? I think, you know, because uh, another thing that uh, we, we've done for Brazilian clients has been, um, you know, recognition of, of foreign judgment. Mm -hmm. And um, when we, because we, we represent some, um, uh, you know, major uh, distressed debt holders and, and debt funds in Brazil. And, and you know, there's just always the, uh, the same thing that you hear is, is that the legal system just takes so long in Brazil. Oh. And, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're enforcing, trying to get judgments enforced now that, uh, and, you know, you can only enforce a judgment when it's essentially when it's final and non-appealable. Non and, um, and, and these, these are cases that have been, have wound through the courts in Brazil for like 20 years. So um, everyone looks at the U.S. Uh, as, um, you know, an essentially an efficient legal system and, and people who are in the know, I think are very, um, uh, have a, a pretty great deal of admiration for the US bankruptcy system. It's interesting because if you ask, sometimes, you know, we get spoiled, right? So clients come to us and how come things aren't moving quickly? We need <laughs> to move this thing fast. And, you know, we, we view bankruptcy actually as moving rather quickly. Um, yeah. you know, you need a hearing, you get it. Judges, uh, you know, they see the case, the entire case, or if there's litigation that stems from it and they get to know the case, they get to know the lawyers, the issues. So you don't have to every single hearing reintroduce everything. Um, and they're pretty available, uh, most of the time. And so, you know, I, yeah, I agree with you. Um, our system does move quickly. And my experience in Brazil is just what you just said, which is it takes a really long time for anything to happen. Yeah. Um, which I think is part of the reason why, assuming they, they can do it, uh, you have some uh, bankruptcy trustees down in Brazil that are coming up here to the States and filing 15s uh, to try to find some assets and, and, and recoveries. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and you've had, and, and you've had a, uh, uh, we had one re recent, uh, it's something that's discussed a lot in Brazil is, is using chapter 11 uh, and, and there's been um, one really large bankruptcy, uh, which I'm sure you guys have heard about, the LATAM, uh, yeah. where, where they went for Chapter 11 specifically to uh, uh, avail themselves of uh, dip financing opportunities. Right. Yeah, well, that's one of the major deficiencies in the Brazilian system is the, is the lack of dip, dip financing, which... As I understand, they attempted to overcome that in the amendments, but it doesn't quite get there because part of why dip financing works in the U.S. is certainty of priority. 
and that's still, you know, it's still lacking there, right? Well, I, I would say the, the, the step forward in the legislation was that, you know, it established certainty, but what it, it didn't establish is that there would actually be many available assets to, to secure the financing. So, um, because, you know, several uh, important lien types remain exempt from, uh, from bankruptcy. So they, stuck, they did go ahead in, in terms of legal certainty, but uh, whether it'll have a practical effect, uh, we'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, interesting stuff. What do you uh, what do you predict in the near future in terms of U.S. Brazil transactions? Are they going to continue to? Uh, it's 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 a it's it's a big question mark. Uh, you have. Um, and, and again, it's all these things you have to consider. The, the exchange rates are very favorable. Uh, you know, interest rates are very low in the United States. It, it, it's hard to get returns here in the in the U.S. So people, you know, willing to look for higher returns and take greater risks, uh, yeah, will be putting money into Brazil. But then at the same time, we have, uh, you know, right now we have an epidemic uh, that's out of control in Brazil, and you know that, you know cast huge question marks over, you know, the direction that it, its economy will go in. So, um, and it, it's terrible as this all sounds and, and because of the pandemic, it really is terrible, but this is like not necessarily like a new situation. It, it seems like you're, you're always in that, walking that tightrope in mm -hmm. Brazil where, yeah, there are opportunities, but the reason there are opportunities is because, you know, something domestically is, is, is really going wrong, so. Well, um, we've that's, seen why, that's why folks will need a lawyer like you. Right. <laughs> right. right. Stability in government, but obviously making, having good competent counsel uh, to help uh, like Alan Moreland. <laughs> Thank you. Alan, where, where can people reach you? Uh, you know, I, um, I'm a, a partner at uh, Access Law Firm. So, uh, and that's, uh, access is actually spelled, uh, it's actually AXS, AXS uh, Law Group. And uh, my email is Alan, spelled like Woody Allen, although I'm not sure that's the best reference right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alan at uh, AXSLawGroup.com uh, uh, is, is where I'm working. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, and uh, on LinkedIn, you're on LinkedIn as well, Alan? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Excellent. Actually, fairly active on LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to appear today and join us for the Take Your Time and um, good luck. And hopefully, you can get back down to Brazil at some point uh, in the not too distant future. Yeah. Thank you. And I did want to mention not only, you know, thank you for, uh, you know, allowing me to uh, talking to me today, but I, I did want to say that, you know, I, I follow you guys, I follow your, your social media, which I think is, is fantastic. And I see, a number of initiatives that your firm does that aren't necessarily business related. And, um, you know, I, I, I find it very admirable. So it's a, it's a, it's an honor to be here talking with you guys. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Fun. We appreciate it. Have a good right. day. I'm going to stop the recording.